and welcome into Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster. I'm your host, JJ Jerez, with me, Arif Dean, today. Of course, you guys probably saw on Twitter, Peter Baugh is out at his sister's graduation, so he's out of town for a couple days. So just Arif and I holding down the fort here. Of course, this was supposed to be a post-game podcast, right, for Game 5, but... The Nashville-Colorado series didn't quite make it to five games. So here we are after the Avalanche practice on Thursday morning. Um, Obviously a really good practice because they've had some time to rest. They've got more time to rest ahead of them. So I think their energy and mindset is a good level. But, Arif, I guess I wanted to start with this. I remember when I graduated high school. Yeah. And everybody was congratulatory, right? Like, good job, way to go, congratulations, what's next? And I remember thinking to myself, like, why is everybody congratulating me? Why, why am I getting these pats on the back for simply doing what I was supposed to do, right? Graduating high school wasn't much of a feat. I feel like that's exactly where the Avalanche are after <laughs> sweeping the first round of an eight seed that backed their way into the playoffs, beating their third string goalie. I mean, we saw their even kill mindset throughout that first round. So I just think they're like, uh, yeah, whatever. We won the first round. On to the next one. Yeah, that's kind of the way it felt. People were asking. There was a lot of questions directed at Eric Johnson, JT Confer, and Jared Bednar. Those are who spoke today to media about how, you know, maybe in the past the team would have not been able to overcome, you know, certain aspects of the first round. But then you sit back and it's like, what aspects? I mean, the the extent of the uh, adversity that the Avalanche faced in round one, where number one, they thought their starting goalie's eye popped out of its socket, basically. (laughs) Gruesome as that sounds. Like, you thought Darcy Kemper was going to be hurt for a long time. Obviously, he he missed the one full game in game four and then most of game three, and that's it. He's back. Um, You had an injury to a fourth liner that really... You had an injury to a fourth liner to uh, Andrew Cogliano. Uh, you had uh, a lead in game four that withered away in the third period only for you to score three goals and come back and win it. And I guess the only other bit of adversity you faced was Connor Ingram made 49 consecutive saves, and if you lost game two, it would have been a completely different narrative going into game three. But Kale McCarr scored the avalanche one. Here we are. So, I mean, you know, I know what people have been saying, and people have been tweeting me about it all week. It's like, well what are we going to do when the Avalanche do face adversity? How are they going to handle it? They didn't face any. But it's like, you can't manufacture adversity. You can't just have adversity for the sake of having adversity. It's not like in the middle of game three, Jared's like, all right, this is going way too smoothly. I'm going to put Abe Kubel on the top line center spot between, I don't know, Landeskog and Nichushkin and be like, hey, this is our new top line. We need to face some adversity and have Roman Yossi run through. <laughs> like, you can't manufacture adversity. So it just seems like the Avalanche knew what they had to do in round one. They did it well. They obviously caught a break without UC Saros playing for the Nashville Predators. And um, now it's on to the second round where it's going to be a little bit tougher. But the team is ready. They, they have the mindset where they want to they make sure that they're ready to rock. And, it, you know, as JT said, everybody is accepting of their role. And there's a, there's a buy-in from everyone. And I know that's such a cliche hockey thing to say. But it's genuinely how this team feels. But you take that phrase right there, how there's a buy-in from everyone. And it links to what we've heard all season long, right? I mean, I can remember back in the early parts of the season when we were talking about how this team isn't complacent. This team isn't accepting anything but the best, right? And you brought it up there in game four. Their backs were against the wall a little bit, and they could have easily been like, ah, whatever, good on Nashville. They got a game here. Let's take it back to Colorado and finish this in five games. But no, they stepped up in that third period. They picked themselves up by the bootstraps, as they have done all season long, and said, we're finishing this tonight. There's no sense in dragging this on another day. Yeah, I mean, as Nathan McKinnon said, he 
was looking forward to the few days off so that he can play some video games and hang out and see his dogs. You know, that's what he wanted to do, and he got it. They came out in the third period, and even with Nashville taking that 3-2 to two lead, they were able to close it out. And I think my favorite part of today's media availability, the press conferences, was Eric Johnson openly talking about how he was basically keeping up with what the media and what, what the stories were last summer, where he said, you know, after after losing to Vegas last year and after going into that offseason, a lot of people talked about how this is the deepest team we have and how we're probably not going to be as deep next year, which I wrote about it. They lost Donskoy. They were going to lose either Donskoy or Comfort to Seattle. It ended up being Jonas Donskoy. They lost Brandon Saad. They lost Belmar, Soderberg, Nemeth. Obviously, those are just the deadline pickups. A lot of people went out the door. And um, going into this season, it was kind of like, all right, the Avalanche aren't going to be as deep, but they're still good. But what Eric said was, pretty much spot on you know people weren't taking into account the fact that some of these guys are young and are going to take that next step Valeri Nichushkin, Devon Taves, Kale McCard those are the three he mentioned off the top of his head I don't think any of us expected Nazem Kadri to have the season he had I don't think any of us expected to see JT Comfort come out the way he did I don't think any of us expected to see Logan O'Connor play 81 games and be an offensive threat early Darcy Kemper to play the way he did Pavel Francis to come back and be as good as he was pre-injury two years ago so the Avalanche look as deep. You saw it at practice today. 14 forwards, 9 defensemen, 2 goalies, the entire roster fully healthy to the point where there are hard decisions to make. And Jared had them in the first round. Alex Newhook didn't play a minute. Neither did veterans like Ryan Murray and Jack Johnson that played quite a bit in the regular season. Uh, people are still calling for Curtis McDermott for some reason, <laughs> uh, despite being healthy. Cogliano couldn't get back in the lineup. I don't know if he was healthy for games 3 and 4, but after missing game 2, he couldn't get back in the lineup. And... Uh, Obviously, they had to turn to Frankie for a couple games, but now it'll be back to Kemper. Yeah, it definitely feels like it was a preseason to the playoffs for them in that first round. So they kind of breeze through it. They can get a little time to reset here. Like you said, Nathan McKinnon can play some video games. And then I think the real playoffs are going to kick in here in the second round. So we'll see how they manage that and what Jared Bednar wants to do with the lineups. Today at practice, we saw, I guess, a little bit of experimentation with those bottom six players, right? I mean, on the on the third line, he had four people dressed in in the white sweaters. That was uh, Alex Newhook, Albe Kubel, JT Comfer, and Andre Burakovsky. Third line. What did I say? You said fourth. Fourth line. Okay, yeah. third. The third line. Yeah, had those guys in white. The fourth line had Andrew Andrew Cogliano, Darren Helm, uh, Logan O'Connor, and Nico Sturm on it. So he's got four guys and slotted in each of those two lines. Obviously, he can only use three. Um, I asked Jared Bednar today if he knows already who he's going forward with, despite whoever wins tonight out of Minnesota and St. Louis. And he basically said, yeah, which tells me it's probably going to be very similar to what we saw there towards the end of Nashville. I mean, he, he basically said, yeah, in the sense where it might be similar to what we saw in Nashville. And, and I followed up your question and asked him, you know, you know, as, as the saying goes, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Mm -hmm. It wasn't broke against Nashville. So why fix it? But Going up against St. Louis and Minnesota, we talked about this with Peter when we podcasted on Sunday. It was very clear that Abe Kubel on the third line was the deciding factor to that, on top of the fact that Abe Kubel had an excellent ending to the regular season, about as good as he can have and be given the player he is. Um, but it's the fact that Nashville's third line of Yakov Trenin, Tanner Janot, and Colton Sissons, you wanted to play a more physically sound player against him rather than an offensively gifted player in Alex Newhook. And uh, that's what they did with Albe Kubel. So I asked Jared about if the lineup would, you know, if it's if it ain't broke, don't fix it, or are you going to change things heading into the next game? And he basically said it kind of depends on the matchup. Um, I could see it going either way. I mean, 
St. Louis, I, I genuinely think if St. Louis closes it out in six or seven, which game six is tonight, uh, Jordan Bennington versus Cam Talbot, no flurry for uh, Minnesota today. Um, and he's, uh, he's just backing up. It's not like he's injured. But uh, I think if St. Louis wins it, we're going to see New Hook. I think if Minnesota wins it, we'll see Abe Kubel. And the reason why I say that is because St. Louis has a ton of depth, and I think that their depth uh, measures up to the Avalanche. They don't have the top-end talent the Avs do, but they have guys all throughout their top three lines where you're going to need more offensive weapons, and that's when you'll see New Hook. Minnesota, on the other hand, has a more, you know, a bigger split among its uh, forwards in terms of mm-hmm. depth players compared to guys that are... Threats uh, versus non-threats, really. Threats versus non-threats offensively. Because mm-hmm. when you look at St. Louis, I mean, at the top of their lineup, Tarasenko, 82 points in 75 games. Robert Thomas, also over a point per game. Pavel Buchnevich, over a point per game. Jordan Cairo, over a point per game. I just listed four forwards. I haven't even listed their top line yet because Ryan O'Reilly, Braden Shen, and David Perron uh, all had 58, 58, and 57 points. Ivan Barbashev came out of nowhere with 60 points. And Brandon Saad, remember that guy? He only had 49 and 78, and I say only loosely. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine forwards. Brandon Saad's your ninth best forward. You play the St. Louis Blues, you got to be full steam ahead with forwards that are going to be offensively producing. And that's when you'll see probably, in my opinion, Comfort slotted between Newhook and, and uh, Burakovsky. If you play Minnesota, different story. But St. Louis just has that talent and the points spread among their top nine where you're going to want to play a more offensively gifted line. So I think if it's the Blues, we're going to see new hook ahead of Abe Kubel. Yeah, that's a good breakdown for sure. And I just looking at Abe Kubel's first round, I think he did some good things, but I also saw him do more bad things. I, I don't want to call him bad, but there are just moments where he looked lost or just a slight missed detail here and there. So I think, it, it, yeah, if anybody's out of the lineup, Abe Kubel definitely deserves, or at least, can, sir, uh, I guess you can... You can justify sitting Obe Kubel a little more yeah. at, at this point just because you've seen what he can do in the playoffs, and it's not exactly to it's the not, T. It's not to the T, but, I mean, that's going to be the case with everybody. I mean, the, the great thing is, if anybody struggles, look, I mean, let's, let's, let's take Andre Burakovsky as an example. Burakovsky's defensive numbers have been pretty sound this playoffs against Nashville, and that's because he was playing on a line with JT Comfer and Obe Kubel who are more, def- you know, have that two-way game to them. But if Berkey isn't playing good defensively and he's not putting up points, who gives a shit what his salary is? Who cares mm-hmm. if he's an unrestricted free agent in the summer? Who cares what he's been in the past in the playoffs? I'm thinking back to the bubble where he had 18 or 19 points or whatever the hell it was in 15 games. I think it was 17, actually. But it doesn't matter. If he's not producing, you sit him. And the beauty of having the depth that the Avalanche do right now where they have 14 forwards deep of players that are like legitimate contributors – and uh, nine defensemen and one of them that can kind of play both sides if you want to put in a tough guy in Curtis McDermott. Um, it makes it so that if somebody like Abe Kubel's not playing well, well, you have Newhook. If someone like uh, O'Connor's not playing well, you have Cogliano. If someone like Burakovsky needs to sit, well, you can juggle things around and put O'Connor on the third line maybe. There's a, quite a few options there, and that makes it easier for Jared Bender to kind of assess his lineup on a daily basis because he knows he doesn't need to give anybody a freebie. And the players also are going to have to sit there and understand that if they're not producing, there is somebody that can take their job. Yeah, and the Avalanche got out of that first round with minimal injuries, right? Just the Cogliano, who, like you said, he could have been ready, could not have been ready towards the end of that series. And the Darcy Kemper, which ended up being a minor injury, but you look at Sidney Crosby, right? That hit on from Jacob Truba yesterday, took yeah. him out of the game and might even take him out of the series. So anything can happen at any given moment. Having this 
plethora of bodies is just such a great luxury for Jared Bednar. So I'm sure he's, uh, you know, nothing but confident with what his team is going to be carrying into the second series here. Yeah, and I think we do need to take into account that, you know, the St. Louis Blues on their blue line, they've had injuries to Justin Falk. They've had injuries to Marco Scandella, to Nick Letty, and there's one more that I'm missing, I think. But, you know, those guys have been in and out of the lineup all series. The Avalanche are, even without Curtis McDermott, they're eight defensemen deep of players that can play and play it well. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it feels like you're kind of counting on the St. Louis Blues winning this series. I mean, it's only... Yeah, and I know, and I'm, I'm just... That's a hypothetical. It's a 3-2 series right now, and uh, Bennington versus Cam Talbot today, Game 6 in St. Louis. I mean, if you're the Blues, you want to close it out tonight. You don't want to have to go back to Minnesota, but... Um, yeah, I mean, it seems... Like, it's going to be St. Louis. I mean, it odds seems, are. I mean, odds are right now, and that's because they have a 3-2 series lead, and things could change in 24 hours, not even in 11, 12 hours from now. We could be talking about a Game 7 in Minnesota, winner take all, where, you know, I think Minnesota having a 3-2 to series lead going into a Game 6, I think they've done well before. <laughs> you know, they had that 3-2 series against the Avalanche in 2014. They came out and won Game 6. They came out and won Game 7. They've done it before. Teams have done it. Um, it'll probably happen quite a few times here. All seven of the other series outside of the Avalanche sweep are 3-2 to two right now. I think we'll see some of the teams that have a two, uh, that are down right now 3-2 win the series. We'll see who. Hopefully Washington. But um, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I think right now it's looking more like St. Louis and uh, Minnesota just looks a little defeated, but things could change. Yeah, well, it's interesting with both of those teams, right? You look at both Minnesota and St. Louis, and they've had to use both of their goalies. Tonight, Camp Talbot is going, like you mentioned. They've had to use both of their goalies by force, right? It wasn't because of an injury. It was them saying, all right, we need to switch things up and try a different goalie here. And I think not having that certainty, not, ha- not knowing who your guy is that you can rely on going into the second round, you know, they still don't. I mean, St. Louis doesn't know whether it's Ville Husso or Bennington they want to ride the rest of the way. Minnesota is obviously trying to decide between Fleury and Talbot. And the Avalanche know Darcy Kemper's the guy. They know what he brings to the table. So I think just right isn't there. It, isn't it funny that we say that and Frankie technically has two of the wins? Yeah, of course. Know, but that obviously. was, they, that forced their hand, right? It wasn't, they didn't have to make that decision. Um, the the blues and the I mean the just, wild. just taking a look at the uh, at the uh, at pretty much all the series around the league right now Colorado Nashville saw four goalies play and a fifth one sit on the bench and Eustace Uh Minnesota St Louis has seen is about to see their fourth goalie playing Cam Talbot Calgary obviously in Dallas has been a series uh, a battle between goalies and Ottinger and Markstrom they haven't changed. Edmonton has had uh, Mike Smith. LA's had uh, John Quick, so that's been unchanged. Pittsburgh, we know what the situation there is uh, with Louis Domingue playing games now and Casey DeSmith starting and Tristan Jari might find his way into the series. Obviously, the Rangers, I believe, had to pull Shesterkin once. Twice. Twice, thank you. Carolina's had to play Ranta and uh, Pyotr Kyachov or whatever his name is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Boston has had to, I think, play both goalies yep. at this point. Two and two, I believe, is what they've done. Tampa Bay, Toronto's been uh, the same goalie for all the games, but Andre Vasilevsky and Jack Campbell are both uh, sporting 880 or 885 save percentages. Washington, we've seen both goalies. Florida, I believe we've seen Bobrovsky. Point is, a lot of goalies are playing. You need to have two goalies now, and that's why the Avalanche this season, compared to last year, when Philip Grubauer played every minute of the playoffs, I believe, are very fortunate to have Pavel Francouz because not that Nashville was a scare and not that Connor Ingram was going to beat them, 
but you didn't want to have to turn to a third stringer. And, oh, I don't know, Jonas Johansson or whoever it would have been had Frankie been injured the entire season. So the Avalanche were very fortunate to get their second guy back when they did and not have this issue become an issue last year. Right, and, and Francouz, his role in that first series was more of a safety net yep. where a lot of these other goalies that are getting a start, maybe game three or four, are more of a, a rescue line, right? Yeah. So I yeah. think that's the real difference. Although I will say that Louis Domingue is uh, red flag, red flag. Oh, Why yeah. are we playing this <laughs> oh, man <yeah>. that eats uh, <laughs> spicy pork and broccoli and goes out and wins us three or four games against the Rangers? It wouldn't be a hockey playoff podcast in 2022 if you didn't say the words spicy pork and broccoli, right? Yeah, I saw that uh, people have been running with that. Have you seen Louis Domingue's press conferences? That is a confident, confident man. And I almost want the Avalanche to bring him in as a third-string goalie just because he seems like a cool dude to have in the locker room. Yeah, I mean, I'm not exactly the biggest fan. I've heard different things about him, though, from people who know. I'm not saying he's going to play games, but I'm just saying he <laughs> seems like a lot of fun. Um, let's look at the uh, rest of the lineup for the Avalanche. Of course, the top six guys aren't exactly a surprise of where they're slotted in right now. But I think what is surprising is you look at those top six, and Jared Bednar only briefly switched back to the Landeskog, McKinnon, Rantanen line in that first series. I think it was maybe for only a couple shifts, right? Yeah. So I think that was a bit surprising for me that these lines stuck, right? Especially considering how long we've seen that Landeskog, McKinnon, Rantanen line succeed. Now they just have the ability to spread it out, so why not do it? But the fact that it's been able to stay, I think, has been you know, a good sign. We'll see how long Jared Benner could keep riding these lines. What I like about what he's doing right now with these lines is, look, make no mistake about it. These lines are playing about as good as they can play given where they are right now. And um, I love that because when things do go awry, you can bring Landeskog back up, put Nichushkin down. But we talked about it all season, and I think we are completely understating just how great a job Jared Bednar did this regular season. He tried pretty much anything and everything he could to know what he has before going into the playoffs. Even before Landeskog's injury in March after that Carolina game where he elected for knee surgery, we saw him playing Landeskog on the second line voluntarily and putting Burakovsky on the top line when the Avalanche were healthy. And the reason why that's cool is because when the Avalanche had quite a few injuries there at the end with Kadri and Landeskog and such, we saw JT Comfort centering a line with Val and Minival, Nachushkin and Lekkinen, and we saw them have that relentless forecheck, and we talked to Jared about it, and he loved how great they were on the forecheck and all that, and we're like, all right, great. Stick Nazem Kadri between Nachushkin and Lekkinen, and you have an incredible second line. Well, they decided to start with Landeskog because Nachushkin got a bunch of minutes with the top pair, and Nachushkin's done a damn good job at it. So now Val's on one line, Minival's on the other line, Kadri and Landeskog are doing their rough and tumble thing. McKinnon and Rantanen are doing their offensively producing produ- production, their offensive production thing, I should say. And you suddenly have these two formidable lines, all the while knowing if things do go awry, if you do got to change things up, you know Nichushkin with Kadri and, Land- and Lekkinen is going to work. You know Landeskog with McKinnon and Rantanen is going to work. And then you still got the Swiss Army Knights on the third line. Andre Burakovsky, any line you stick him on will work. Lekkinen with Comfer, if you wanted to switch Burakovsky and Comfer, you know they've done it together before. You know they can work. New hook with Kadri and Burakovsky, we've seen that before. It hasn't always been great, but we know it can work. New hook on the top six in general, we know that he can produce when needed. Not that that's ideal, but that's an option. So there are a ton of options. Logan O'Connor playing on the third line. There are just so many things that when those lineup changes happen and if jared needs to juggle it up a little bit it's not going to be random it's not going to be i don't know 
I'm just using last year's lineup as an example. The Avalanche are going into game six against Vegas and they're struggling and they're nervous and now Belmar is centering Saad and whoever. Like it's not some random lineup where you're like, how did he think of this? Any combination of lines that we see on that forward line right now, for the most part, you know, I'm not saying Abe Kubel, McKinnon, O'Connor, help logan o'connor played top line minutes early in the year miko ran and played center there are so many things that jared can do and it's because of the way he went about the regular season knowing that they were winning games they had that top spot locked up and even before they did they were confident to try things and it's going to pay off here in the playoffs because against st louis or minnesota you are going to have to juggle the lineups i know i'm going a little bit long-winded right now but i will mention it again the biggest difference the last few years has been coaching Obviously, injuries were a part against Dallas, but Rick Bonus outcoached Jared Bednar. Pete DeBoer outcoached Jared Bednar twice in 2019 with San Jose and in 2021 with Vegas. This is Jared's time to shine, and he's going to go up against Dean Evason, who's one of the young up-and-comers in the NHL coaching circles, and Craig Berube, who's won a Stanley Cup. This is when he's going to need to shine. I think you look at Arturi Lekanen, and he's really the piece that allowed that all to happen, right? What I a mean, pickup. Yeah, I mean, we, it's no secret. We all love him around here, and, and it's noticeable the impact he makes. But you have that second line at the beginning of the year, and Jared Bednar was trying to force a Kadri, Burakovsky, Nachushkin line, right? Well, now all three of those guys are on completely separate lines where they better fit. And it was all because of Lekkonen's insertion to the lineup. Now you've got a stronger winger there on that second line, and you can kind of play around with how you manage that first and third line. So, yeah, again, it, it, we know... The impact that Lekkonen has had, but that's something that I think maybe we've overlooked is how much flexibility he's given Jared Bednar in the lineup just by his simple presence. Yeah, and the cool thing about the Lekkonen pickup is when the Avalanche were obviously out of the Claude Giroux sweepstakes heading into the deadline, the two names that always came up were Arturi Lekkonen and Andrew Kopp. Those are the two guys that the Avalanche were looking off, looking at, and... Man, I'll never forget, I don't know who tweeted it to me, but people were kind of nervous about the fact that the Avs were going to, you know, replace a potential star guy in Claude Giroux with more of a depth role guy in Lekin in her cop. And one guy tweeted me and said that the Avalanche should just throw in the towel because they lost the Giroux sweepstakes. They clearly aren't going to take this as seriously or whatever the hell he said. Complete hyperbole, obviously. But guys like Andrew Kopp and Arturi Lekinen, like... If you're a team as loaded as the Avalanche is, Claude Giroux would be nice. And I'm not saying that it wouldn't have been cool to have Claude Giroux. But to have guys like that are difference makers. Andrew Kopp has already scored three goals in the playoffs. He's playing nearly 20 minutes a night every single night. He obviously had a 34-minute game in that game one that went to OT. But in the regular season with the Rangers, after 35 points in 56 games with Winnipeg, dude put up eight goals and 18 points in 16 games. Arturi Lekkinen didn't even do that. So these are the kind of players, and I, I bring up Andrew Kopp because that was a name that was mentioned quite a bit along with Arturi Lekkonen as the two guys that the Avs were going after, and either one of them probably would have been able to do this job, but with Lekkonen, you have a guy who slots in perfectly. He's got that defensive ability to him. He's not a big guy, but he's tenacious, kind of like what Eric Johnson said about Bowen Byram. He's a bit of a throwback guy, old-school throwback, and we see that with Bowen Byram, even though Bowen Byram isn't six foot six, 200-something pounds. So it's the same thing we're seeing with Lekkonen. He plays that style of game, and he does it well, and that's why he fits so well. But look at his lineups. It's his, his, his teammates on that line. It's Gabe Landeskog. It's Nazem Kadri. It's the game they play, and he's on the right wing because he can do it too. Yeah. No, I think he brings a lot to the, to the table. And today at practice, I was watching him skate around, and 
He reminds me of if Kale McCarr was a forward. Maybe he's not quite at that same skill level or he's, maybe he edge does, work. He does look good on the skates. Yeah, yeah. He's, got, he's got very similar presence to him, which made me start thinking, you know, obviously this is completely hypothetical conversation here, but if McCarr was a forward, do you think he would have the same impact, the same results that he does as a defenseman? McCarr was a forward, he put up 120. <laughs> so like, hey, Kale, go out there and play forward and don't worry about the defensive side of things. Like, come on. But, yeah, no, he, he would be incredible in that role. Lekkanen, what I love about guys like Lekkanen and Nachushkin is they are so defensively sound, but they put up numbers too. Mm-hmm. And, and when you're a team that has the high-end talent you have, getting a season out of Nazem Kadri that we never expected, Miko Rantanen and Nathan McKinnon always being hovering around that 100-point pace over 82 games, you don't need your fourth and fifth forwards to put up 80, 90 points like St. Louis has. Yep. You just need them to be 45 to 60 points and defensively sound, and that's the difference between the avalanche of last year and the avalanche of this year. It's the big step from Nachushkin, it's the big step for, or the big acquisition of Lekkanen, and it's the big step from Kadri to bring that top six all together to the point where Berkey's on your third line. Yeah, I mean, that's all, all often a sign of, a, of the great teams, right? All the Stanley Cup winners usually have somebody in the depth of the lineup that was a hidden gem. I think with Nichushkin and with Lekkanen, you can call them both hidden gems, especially considering a couple years ago, Nichushkin was buried in the bottom six, and now he's playing top-line minutes. So with, with every team, you, you think about the Tampa Bay Lightning in their fourth line last year, right? How much of an impact those guys had and how big of a role they played. I mean, you, you got to think that the hidden gems are really the secret to winning a cup. But um, I guess here's a good time to take a second to talk about our friends over at Total Beverage. Everybody knows Total Beverage in Westminster and Thornton, right? Sure, Total Beverage has an incredible selection of beer, wine, and spirits, but did you know that they deliver? Did you know that they have curbside pickup available? And did you know that they do online wine education classes? I know Peter was probably all over that in Nashville. If not, it's time to get to know Total Beverage again. Stop by on 104th in Thornton or on Sheridan Westminster and see for yourself, or you can always find weekly deals, events, and even drink recipes online at TotalBev.com. Total Beverage, everything you need and more. Arif, as we start to wrap up this post-practice podcast here, I've got two more questions for you. One, I can shoot them both to you here at the same time. Question one is, who are you naming as the Colorado Avalanche MVP in the first round? Kyle McCarr next. Who is going to have the biggest impact? Who do you need to see carry the weight in the second round? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, and that's no disrespect to Nathan McKinnon. Kyle McCarr was otherworldly. Uh, I think a conversation that we need to be having is Nathan McKinnon is an incredible centerman, but there are other guys like Austin Matthews and Connor McDavid, and that might be where the list ends, and Sidney Crosby, that can do what he does. Uh, and not literally Connor McDavid. Connor McDavid's on a level of his own. On defense, Kale McCarr is the Connor McDavid of defensemen. He is on a level of his own, and then the Headmans and the Yossis and all of them are kind of a notch below, and I don't mean that as a disrespect to Victor Hedman. Right now, he's the proven commodity, and Kale isn't. But um, in terms of that question, round one MVP, Kale McCarr. Three games with three points, a fourth game where he had a goal. He scored three goals, and we can remember them all very clearly. Sick goal that was very similar to the one that he scored against Chicago. Mm-hmm. The overtime tally, and then the third goal, which was also an incredible goal. He's done it three times. And we remember all three goals, and this is all the while knowing that he's defensively sound. He kills penalties. He does it all. He was the MVP of that first round. Second round, uh, I, I might stick with him. 
because that's that's we've seen Nathan McKinnon do his thing in the playoffs and it not be enough because of I don't know defensive lapses. Sam Gerrard and Ryan Graves have the worst series of their lives and it costs the Avs. Philip Grubauer stands on his head some nights, doesn't other nights, and it costs the Avs. Injuries cost the Avs. Having a guy like Kale McCarr doing what he did in the first round is the difference in the playoffs. We've seen it so many years before. We see the Chicago teams carried by a 30-minute mun- uh, a night muncher in, in Duncan Keith. We saw the Drew Doughty LA Kings, Nick Lidstrom in all his years with Detroit, Chris Letang with Pittsburgh outside of that one year he was injured. These are the kind of players you need to win a cup. And uh, I think Kale McCarr is going to need to be that difference in round two. All the while knowing that you're still going to need McKinnon to score goals like he did in round one. Mikko Rantanen will eventually score some goals. Nachushkin, Lekkinen, Kadri, all those depth guys will pick up the slack as well. Kemper's got to stop some pucks. But I think it's Kale. You know, here I was before I asked you those questions, expecting to have my answer of Kale McCarr as both of those as well. So (laughs) I guess the fact that you took it over, I I don't have to make my point hurt, but I'm 100% on board with you. The the impact he had in round one was obviously felt. He definitely seemed to be the best player on this team. Again, no disrespect to Nathan McKinnon. Nathan McKinnon just plays good hockey, right? And Kale McCarr... McKinnon's been incredible, by the way. No, he's he's been been fantastic. He's been fantastic. Kale McCarr just really flourishes because this, this structure complements him so well, and his skill set just fits so perfectly into the way that they play hockey that it's going to have to continue for the success. I mean, I think Nathan McKinnon is going to do Nathan McKinnon things no matter what the results, right? No yeah. matter what happens. Kale McCarr, if he's contributing, if he's doing the Kale McCarr things, that's when wins happen. How funny is it that we're talking about Nathan McKinnon being the second best player on the Avalanche in round one, and he had five goals in four games, had a point and, and a goal in every single game and had 29 shots over four games. Yeah, I mean, arguably... 29 shots over four games. Of the five (laughs) best players in the NHL, the Avalanche arguably have two of them. In the playoffs, for damn sure. Mm -hmm. I remember listening to Wayne Gretzky the other day on TNT, and he said that the top four players in the NHL in the playoffs, and this was after game four for everybody, before game five for Edmonton, the top four guys in the NHL are the duo in Colorado and the duo in Edmonton. And the duo in Edmonton are a couple forwards in Drysaddle McDavid. The duo in Colorado is a forward and defenseman. And the defenseman has more points than any forward in the NHL at that point. It's, it's crazy what Kale McCarr is doing. And uh, I think the Avalanche are fortunate to have these two guys. And um, they're both going to be big in the next round. And the Avalanche are going to need them to be big. Hell, Kale McCarr still leads the NHL in points. He's only played four games. He's tied with Carter Verhage of Florida, who had a five-point night. Kale McCarr didn't need a five-point night or a fifth game. Yep, yep. And I feel like we failed to mention, I mean... Obviously, now that the news is out there, people know. But Darcy Kemper back on the ice and yeah. looks back to normal. Looks like he was seeing pucks we'll well. Be, we'll be clipping this podcast to uh, an article talking about Darcy Kemper being healthy. But, yeah, he is ready to rock and roll. Yep, absolutely. And he looks good and he looks back to normal. And I think his face, from what I can see through his helmets, looks unswollen and, again, back to normal. So all is well right now in Colorado Avalanche land. All we got to do is sit back the next couple of days, watch some other teams beat the crap out of each other and <laughs> see how it unfolds. Uh, hopefully Sunday we come back for our longer edition podcast. We know exactly who the Avalanche are playing. I mean, we will by Sunday night for sure. Um, so yeah, we'll be back Sunday to break down the next series for you. And that one will be with Peter, Arif, and myself. Sounds great, and I'm looking forward to it. And I love the fact that uh, Arturi Lekkinen was sporting a Detroit Tigers shirt today on his way out of the rink. And that would be the 9-22 and Tigers, who are about to go 9-23 and as they're currently losing to the Oakland A's. So 
Shout out to Lecky, the man from Finland who was a fan of the Detroit Tigers for some reason. No, we know why. Well, yeah. He told us why, and I thought that was the most interesting part. Yeah, I love that he threw that in. I didn't even ask him about that part. He yeah. goes, it's because of Jeff Petrie. And he like kind of gave me a smirk. And obviously, Jeff Petrie, native of uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan. So that's pretty cool. Um, and to see him wearing a shirt. He doesn't play with Petrie anymore. He doesn't live in the same city as Petrie anymore. He's out in Denver, Colorado, wearing a Tiger shirt to practice. Pretty cool. Yeah, you know nobody's really pushing the Colorado Rockies that hard on him, so let him be a Tigers fan, I guess. Um, but, yeah, I guess that'll do it from today's post-practice edition of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster. Any closing thoughts, Arif, before we get out of here? No, I, uh, I'm excited for Sunday and to get ready for the next round. Peter Baugh has been a delight to have on the show. Love what he brings to it, and... Uh, We'll steam ahead for the abs and for us. Yeah, I'm excited to go show you some homes. So let's get out of here and <laughs> go to our showings. So thanks for hanging out with us, everybody. We'll be back Sunday, like I said. So if you made it this far in the podcast, couldn't have been that hard. Hope you enjoyed it. Let us know. Let's make hockey for everyone. We got you. Hey, baby, mama, say why? What's the reason for?